You are listening to the Physio Accelerator Podcast with Trish Wisby-Roth. Now, as an undergraduate, we are never prepared in any way in physiotherapy for the practicalities of private practice and how an actual business runs. I think in essence that's because the old-fashioned way that physiotherapy is taught in the undergraduate is focused towards a hospital-based physiotherapist or aged care or institutional care. And so really um, the question of payment for service doesn't come up in a hospital. However, it is a big thing for a graduate physio or any physio as they move into private practice to grapple with the concept of, in brackets, having to sell their services or sell um, themselves as a solution for the individual patient. And a lot of physios really struggle with this. Now, you can really look at ethical private practice away from thinking about, I have to sell myself to the patient. The way to turn it around so it's it's really ethical and it comes away from the dollar value is the focus not being on the amount of money and the focus not being on that you have to sell, the focus really being on the patient, everything about the patient and that you are not there just to minimise their pain. People are coming to you as a physio subconsciously because they want to get more out of their body and they want to get more out of their life or their lifestyle. And the issue they're coming to you for is affecting how they perform in life, what they can do in life, the enjoyment they can get in life and their potential for life. So if you look at it that way, you can totally come away from how much am I worth and and I have to sell my skills to this patient. Instead, This person is coming to me with, let's say, example, right knee pain that is stopping them do activities around the house, stops them being able to play soccer, is waking them up at night and is really not allowing them to use stairs at work. So when you look at that as the problem, you can 
go short term and say, okay, we have to get on top of the pain and what are the things to minimise the pain? Or you can look at really the ethical and the holistic solution of what can we add to this person's life with short-term hands-on treatment and the key flare-up strategy exercises, pacing protocols, maybe um, communication with the GP for some short-term medication if needed, modification of um, their activities at home, modification about how they're approaching stairs or coping with activities in their work setting. They're all those early first four-week goals. And if you talk to the PR that comes from exercise professionals, they will say that's physio's jobs, that they treat acute pain in the first four weeks. Now, we know that we're so much more than that and that we really can build people's confidence, their ability to face things that they were scared about in their lifestyle by building up their understanding of their issues, their cardiovascular strength, their functional confidence in movement and really building up, you know, all their all the pieces of their puzzle to be able to cope with the activities they want to get back to ADL-wise, social activity, sporting activity and work. And really, when you look at physiotherapy these days, we're so involved with people before and after hip replacements or, or joint replacements, before and after surgery, before and after cancer, um, palliative care, um, motor neurone disease, excuse me, <clears throat> we're involved, we can be involved long term with so many things from paediatric conditions to, to geriatric conditions. And if you look at someone, as I've said before, everyone is their own Rubik's Cube and what are the pieces of the puzzle they need? If you focus on those and really start ticking those boxes off in short, medium, long term, the real pressure of you having to sell your skills to the patient totally falls away because what you're doing is working together on a solution and that is ethical private practice. You're working together on the solution and it's your expertise that you can say, look, I really feel for these early stages it would be worthwhile to look at the desk you're using or the shoes you're using or this brace really for your condition short term would be really worthwhile but long term we want to get you independent away from needy braces but 
if you look at it that way, you don't have to say, okay, I need to sell this piece of equipment to them because it's not about you making them spend money. It's about you and the patient working together to solve their goals. And in that discussion, if you're talking to them about solving, you know, ticking their goals and solving the barriers to getting to those goals, one of those barriers can be the financial side of things. So as I've said many times before, I'll always talk to patients about short, medium and long-term goals. Now, if someone comes to me with an EPC and they say, look, I only really can afford to use these five sessions and it's a chronic condition. Ethically, it's really important right from the beginning for you to say, okay, if, if you only want to use these five sessions, in these five sessions, it's critically important for you to understand what's going on, how you can influence it, what are the exercises you can do, what you can do when the pain flares up and how you can improve your function because you will have to be the driver of your own rehab after these five sessions. We can do a little bit of hands-on in the beginning, in the first couple of sessions while we're designing also the exercises, but the last two to three sessions have to be focused on um, empowering you with a long-term aim of how you're going to deal with this. Can you see that that really is looking at the person's goals? But if someone comes into you with an EPC, it's not up to you to assume they can only afford five sessions or they only want five sessions. It's important for you in those early sessions to sit down and really talk to them about what their short, medium, long-term goals are and be upfront. You know, if they've got knee pain now but they want to be able to play over, over 35 soccer next season, that's going to take a, you know, a measured approach of starting with a pacing program, looking at the strength deficits, may want to look at some functional-based assessments, some strength-based assessments, and tell them this is going to take, where the evidence will say a tendon is a minimum of 12 weeks of you working at the program, and very often working on that program up to six months, and ongoing with a maintenance program. Now, that doesn't mean that you they need to see you once a week or two times a week for the next six months. It may well be that the first four weeks you're seeing them, you know, once or twice a week. The next four to eight weeks, you'll drop it down to maybe once every two weeks. If they're very independent and they've really got the concept and it's strength and it's tendon loading and it's pacing 
in that second four to eight weeks, I might I might only see them at four weeks and touch base with them via telehealth or PhysiTrack at the two-week mark and they know that they can touch base with me. Now, you may be in a different situation where you like to touch base with them weekly or the patient likes to touch base with you weekly or they come in for a one-on-one or a group-based strength um, and functional control exercise program, which has become uh, more and more common with physiotherapy. Or you might be the other extreme that you send them off to a gym program with a personal trainer or an exercise physiologist, either at the gym or working in your clinic, and you touch base with them less often, but you've then got another health professional or someone who can continue on with helping them tick their goals. I think the really important thing in ethical private practice when it comes to selling is you don't think about you yourself having to be selling or how much it will cost the patient. It's their decision to make that. And really, if you keep the highest goal of what is the best multifaceted intervention we can provide for this patient and be upfront and get them to talk clearly about where they want to go and what their concerns are, or if they have any worries, and be very open that if they say, look, financially, I don't think I can come more than, you know, four or five times, what can we do within that strategy? And as far as other supports, be they, you know, kinesio tape, uh, sports tape, um, braces, you know, ankle supports. We often, when people have lumbar spine, pelvic, hip issues, then we'll often use um, a sitting wedge is one of the things that, that can make a really big difference to them. We'll often talk to them about ergonomics of their chair and their desk set up and give them some links that they can go off and investigate those those things will you know in in regards to um supportive shoes will give them some guidance of where they can go uh, in regards to uh, uh, orthotics I'll explain to them the range of just having a supportive shoe to a soft, very, um, you know, proprioceptive orthotic through to the more rigid orthotics that that are out there and the positives, the negatives for their individual um, condition. And then the decision always sits with the patient and... I think if you look at it that way, it takes a lot of pressure of selling away 
because I think new grads often think about, oh my God, am I worth, you know, $90 for a session or can this person afford, um, you know, a, a wedge cushion? You think about what's best for the person, you communicate with them, you give them time to talk back and discuss it with you and then in the end of the day, you can recommend it, but it's totally up to them how they um, move forward with it. And with ethical private practice, where your, your time is billable, one of the key things of the patient feeling that they get value for money is you being able to spend as much of the session with them as possible, excuse me, (coughs) and have really good notes so that when you see them next, you'll be able to say, Mr Jones, last time we were talking about, you know, your soccer and I know that that starts back here and these were the issues and I've you know, let's work on some exercises for that so that you've had really good notes so that when you go back and see them, that that patient really knows that you've been thinking of them, you've got a plan for them, they're not having to go back to square one every time. And if you come in that way, it makes a huge difference to the commitment of the patient because they know that actually you've listened to them, you've understood what their needs are, even to the extent of, you know, how are your kids? Um, How's the soccer team been going while you haven't been playing? If you've written down what their job is, you know, those type of things, how's work been going, all of those kind of things. So you treat the person as a whole person. Now, for that to be happening, you cannot keep all of that in your brain. That's impossible. So note taking is really, really important. And what I would say about note taking two things that can make a huge difference. One is try to always give the patient the exercises that you've given them at the end of the session. You have them there doing the number of reps and exactly the exercise you want them to do in front of you with the equipment that, that they need And while they're doing that, you can be looking at them, but you can also be writing up your notes and put down plan next time is to add in some eccentric hamstrings or eccentric calves or assess ankle mobility so that when you see them next time, you can say, Mr. Jones, last time I was really wanting to look at your ankle. So we're going to start off looking at that and then look at progressing your exercises. So that very little time is lost in where do I go today? 
And instead, at the end of the session, when you have the clearest concept of what's going on and where you want to go next session, you write it down and write it down really succinctly, quickly in your in your notes while they're doing their their exercises and then getting dressed. It's always a really crucial couple of minutes. The other thing that I use a lot is dictation of letters. So with voicemail, I personally am much faster at dictating a very quick letter. Some of your you uh, younger physios are faster at writing than dictating. The thing I like about dictating, particularly if it's a letter to a GP or to a specialist, is while the patient is getting changed, I'll very quickly dictate the letter in front of them. Always CCing a copy to the GP, any of the other people who are involved in a referral network, and a copy to the patient. It carries a huge amount for the patient that you CC the patient themselves in the letter. Unless, of course, it's a workers' comp, which you're not allowed to do that. But it is amazing how many times patients look at me and say, wow, you are the first physio ever to send me a copy of the letters that you're sending to my GP or to the specialist. What it does is it allows the patient the confidence that you are a part of the treatment process, the patient is a part of the treatment process, and that they're intelligent enough to be able to read that letter and comprehend it. And if they can't comprehend something that's in the letter, then one, you probably haven't explained it well, or you are there to explain it. And I'll always say, if you have any questions from the letter, you know, next time we're together when when we're treating, bring it up. And it really builds up a great rapport with the patient that you see, see them in the letter because it makes them feel that they are the centre of the rehab process. And... That is incredibly empowering for the patient. I think one of the saddest things I see as a specialist physio is so many tertiary referred patients who come and see me and they've been to so many different therapists, so many different doctors. They get so many big words thrown at them And when you sit down with them and say, you know, what's your concept of what's going on or what do you believe is the problem, they are so disempowered, so fearful that they have no concept of what's going on except that they're out of their depth and they don't understand anything. So if you can turn that trend around so that you explain things in, in 
are goal-based in simple words that they can understand. And if it's goal-based, it will make a difference to how they sleep, how they function at home, how they function with their family, in their sporting life, their leisure activity and their work. All of a sudden, you will make them very empowered. And so if you keep them as far as positive language, positive understanding for the patient, what things can be changed, what things can't be changed, what are important, what are priorities, what can't be changed but really can be quite normal, you know, normal age-appropriate changes, it's, I think you can't underestimate what an incredible effect that can have on the psychosocial um, outlook of the patient, that they feel like they get some control back in their life, they're a part of the solution, that they're not just this pawn being thrown from one medical practitioner to another and that they have an opinion and they have, um, in the end, a really important opinion and they decide where their rehab um, journey goes. And always using positive you know, positive language makes a huge difference. Just things, uh, you know, I was talking to a friend who has some some hip issues and she's in her 50s and she said, you know, I'm, you know, I, I got on top of my knee problem on the right-hand side and, and now I've got a problem in my hip on the left-hand side. You know, this, this you know, what's happening to me? You know, I'm falling apart. I want someone to just fix it. And when I said to her, well, you know, we're in our 50s. Like who do you, what piece of equipment, what human being do you know who gets their mid-50s is perfect and doesn't have to do anything to maintain that? It's an unrealistic expectation. But you know, if you just put in the key things and start understanding your body and what are the key maintenance things you need for mobility, um, strength, tendon loading, cardiovascular, sleep, diet, rest, relaxation, what are the key things for you? Then that becomes your recipe for, you know, setting up your from your 50s, setting up a healthy lifestyle for the next 30 years doesn't mean that when you have an x-ray, you won't have arthritic changes or you have an ultrasound and you won't have gluteal tendinopathy. But that um, may not be reflected in functionally what you can do. So I just want you to to encourage you in the end in if you're wanting to be an ethical private practice physio try to not focus on the selling or how much it will cost them but put the patient at the center and really talk about enhancing lifestyle 
optimizing performance. Really keep the language positive and keep them at the center of the communication. And that comes down to writing letters to other health professionals and, and keeping those key notes so that when you see the next time you're off at the gun, right at the beginning of the treatment, you know where you're going with them and they're part of that ongoing process. So I hope that helps because um, private practice can be challenging in those early years, but if you look at it that way, then it comes down to the patient to be the one to make the 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 choices about what they purchase from your skill and from the practice. It doesn't have to be a burden that you have to bear. Until next time, best wishes. Thank you for listening to the Physio Accelerator podcast. If you'd like to find out more about what we do, head to thephysioaccelerator.com. While you're there, don't forget to sign up for our email list for more great insights from Trish and information about our upcoming courses. Before you go, if you think of a friend or a colleague who would benefit from listening to this podcast, make sure you send it their way. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.